0: Warning, the following podcast contains violent scenes that may be unsettling to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. In 1999, the walls of hell cracked, and fallen angels condemned to an eternity in the abyss were suddenly able to flee. With no choice but to come to terms with the decaying remnants of the paradise they helped create, these escaped fallen must now decide whether they will rebuild their masterpiece or burn it to a cinder. Hello and welcome to Demon the Fallen, Fragments a Demon the Fallen game set in Rochester, New York, in the year 2001. This story features the character of Azoth, played by Tillman, Erikel, played by Rebecca, Brawlman, played by Adam, and Abathar, played by Slavic. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us on Twitter at Twin underscore Cities underscore VTM, on Facebook at Twin Cities by Night, and on Discord at Twin Cities by Night. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the first episode of Twin Cities by Night, Demon the Fallen Fragments. We will begin today's episode with Slavic's character, Abathar. Where should I start? In the abyss. In the abyss, of course. Where all demon stories should begin, in theory. It has been countless millennia of isolation, emptiness, surrounded by tormented, wrathful Comrades, former comrades in the war against heaven. All four of you have been debated with, insulted, pleaded with, loved, hated. Ultimately, over the millennia, all of that distilled into just a simmering, simmering rage at your punishment, at the abandonment of God, and an immense sense of loss, having been separated not only from creation, but from the beings that you fought valiantly for, humanity. You can feel vague whispers, faded wisps of their misery and torment seeping in through the walls of hell. That has only increased your pain and suffering over the eons, knowing that the creatures you once cared for, that you once loved so deeply, that you were willing to risk non-existence for them, have spent centuries in misery. In pain, in fear. Suddenly, without warning, something changes. It's as if a pressure in the air suddenly dropped. You feel different. Curiosity begins to spread through the ranks of those demons, those fallen angels that you are familiar with. Whispers and words, rumors, and then suddenly voices go silent. No one knows precisely how or why they search the void but they cannot find them abathar you hear and you feel a cry of agony pierce through your being somewhere off in the distance it comes through clearer than any other sensation has in millennia what do you do
1: abathar vaguely remembers the sort of flowing waters that he created And just like those waters, you know, he just tries to flow.
0: Flowing through the void of the abyss. No light, no sound. The only sensations are those radiated by your companions, except for this new one. You feel waves of loneliness, whispers of regret, and they draw you closer and closer to something that you don't quite recognize. It feels as if there's a gap or maybe a crack in the walls of hell. Where do you go? Well, if there's a crack, the water
1: will find it. Or, well, he'll find it with the way he spreads around, you know.
0: You begin to flow through the crack. And just as you feel the first bits, the, the leading edge of your being, reach the outside of the abyss, you are forcefully sucked through in total. You emerge into a howling hurricane. Reminiscent of those that would traverse the seas of paradise. This hurricane batters you with rains of lamentation. A cold fear streaking through you. More cold or bitter than any winter wind. Sprays of self-loathing throw you, batter you back and forth. You fly and soar through a washed out gray landscape of misery and depression, you see millions of souls floating through this as well. Human souls, their dim lights flickering. A small part of you recognizes them as the souls of the dead. Cities of memory, cities of loss, pepper the landscape, and you shriek ever forward, ever on, through this dim, decayed shadow of a world. You find yourself streaking towards a light on the horizon. At first, it's just a bluish white, and over time, it begins to resolve into hues of blue, green, yellow. You pierce through some strange veil, some spiritual wall that you don't quite remember ever existing at any point that you know of, and you find yourself soaring, soaring over the fields and mountains of earth billions of lights beneath you each a human soul flaring and flickering some dimming for the last time as their life is extinguished some flaring into brilliance as their life begins you are hammered with sensations and feelings that you have not experienced in millennia that you don't even remember experiencing it has been so long you feel joy you feel ecstasy you feel anticipation it is overwhelming, but there's one light, one flickering light that you feel. It touches you, and you start to drift towards it, flowing through the sky as if you were a trickle of water going across a table or a riverbed. You draw closer and closer to it, and a city begins to resolve beneath you, bisected by a river. You feel the waters to the north and the river calling out to you, but that's, that's not the thing. That's not exactly what's calling you. That soul is still there. You feel it more than anything else. There's a great sadness, a loneliness, an isolation to this soul. This resonates with your experience in the abyss. And as you flow towards it, you find yourself filling the flesh that this soul once inhabited. And the soul, flickering and dim as it is, just moves aside. It doesn't leave entirely. You can still feel it within the flesh. But it's muted, as if it's done. It's resting. It's tired. It just wants silence. And suddenly you feel blood pumping through veins. You feel a heartbeat. You hear, for the very first time, blood rushing through your own body. The steady thump thump of a human heart. Clothing against your skin. Skin to begin with. There's a weird sensation. You can't quite pinpoint it but it feels like there's this weight on the body slowly you open the body's eyes and there's this cold pressure against one side of the head and the blurry the blurry vision that these eyes provide you slowly comes into focus and you see black and white squares of porcelain it looks like some sort of wall that begins a few inches above the ground you hear people talking you, there, there are scents, smells, harsh chemical smells that strike you as being thoroughly, thoroughly unnatural, but in strange imitations of the sense of flowers that you remember from when you strode through paradise. Some of the conversation is hushed. It seems urgent, but your ears just can't quite discern the words yet. You realize in that moment that you're laying down. What do you do? Uh, Abathar is just.
1: Uh, what is. Uh, sort of, you know, slowly tries to look at his fingers. What's this?
0: A wave of dizziness hits Abathar, followed by severe nausea. Something kicks in. Abathar vomits. Ugh.
1: Where am I? What's happening to me? This shouldn't happen to an angel, whatever whatever I am
0: now. You get to your knees, and looking into the vomit, you see, amidst the biological colors of bile and stomach acid, half-digested bits of food, you see a few bright colors, several spots of blue. Uh,
1: Abathar will sort of, what is this? I don't understand this sort of probably try looking around, see if anything makes sense.
0: The space you're in is small. The walls begin about four or five inches up off of the floor. To your right, there's some sort of seat. It's it's a, an unusual design. You're not too familiar with it. There, It's an open seat over a basin of water. I try to check for my reflection. As Abathar Moves over to this seated basin and looks in. Uh, the water is a weird yellow color, but it's possible to make out a rough reflection of a young woman. It's fairly attractive, a little bit of vomit still on her cheek and chin. Ethereal, sort of, you know, mortal flesh. Is this what it's like? Is everything okay in there? Ma'am, are you okay? What do you want, mortal? Um, ma'am, some of the other patrons have said that you were having some issues in here. They sent us in to check. It's a man's voice, a male voice saying this. Underneath one of the walls, you can see a pair of very shiny pieces of footwear. They're not a design that you recognize. They're not sandals. They're not armor. But they're black, and they're quite shiny.
1: Abathar will go and try to open the stall door, probably not knowing that it has to be
0: unlocked. Another wave of dizziness hits Abathar, and the eyes go out of focus again, and in focus, and out of focus, and everything is... Nothing comes completely back into focus. There's blurriness, and the mind suddenly becomes confused and muddled. And Abathar goes to find the handle to the door and pulls, and nothing happens. There's a rattling noise. It totally just pulls again and again. Yeah. It just keeps rattling. Uh, ma'am, are you okay in there? Do you need assistance? Should we call someone?
1: Yes, this door seems to be locked. I see no
0: key here, however. just Just slide the bolt to the right, ma'am. Ah, ingenious. Slide the bolt to the right, and the door just starts to swing in on its own very slowly propelled by gravity.
1: All right. What does the man look like?
0: He's wearing a tuxedo, for simplicity's sake. This elaborate black and white clothing. The bow tie itself, however, is a shade of midnight blue with some golden stripes in it. He has a look of deep concern on his face. He's younger, maybe early 20s. His hair is black, very neatly combed, solidly held in place by gel. And he's looking at you with a deep concern in his eyes. Ma'am, is everything all right?
1: Abathar will sort of look him in the eyes and smile, and everything's perfect.
0: Do you require assistance of any type?
1: Uh, no, not really. I, and then Abathar will sort of start looking at the tuxedo and, you know, sort of touching the fabric. Wow. Truly, you mortals were always so
0: crafty. Ma'am, I think you've had too much to drink, and it might be advisable for you to get a cab home.
1: Drink? Oh, no. I wasn't drinking.
0: He looks at the vomit on the floor, and then he looks at the vomit still on Abathar's chin. Are you sure, ma'am? I thank you for your concern, young man, but
1: I think I'll just go. Abathar just walks off, and okay. it's just, like, probably stops at the wrong corridor. And then goes back, you know. Yeah,
0: Abathar walks out of the door to the ladies' room and finds himself facing another door across the hall with a sign on it. He can't understand what the letters mean precisely. To the right, there's another door with another sign on it. And then to the left, there's a hallway that seems to open up into a large room. A number of tables are set out. There are numerous people eating. The decor is very elaborate, the carpet is very intricately detailed, floral patterns with some geometric elements to it. The soft music of a soul violin comes down the hallway from where the people are sitting.
1: Abathar will walk towards the room with the people then, you know, sort of taking it all in, probably clean up the face also.
0: Abathar stumbles as he walks. This body, this flesh. There's something that seems to be wrong with it. It doesn't quite have balance. Another wave of dizziness hits, some nausea. It feels like, to some extent, as if you've stood up too fast and you get the head rush as your blood pressure suddenly changes in response to that. Vision starts to get fuzzy, but you stay standing. Okay, then.
1: Abathar will start walking very slowly and carefully towards the room with the mortals.
0: The smells of dozens of different meals assault Abathar's senses. Lobster, duck, steak, veal, all of it at once just pounding Abathar's senses. Sense that Abathar did not even know could exist. Coriander, tarragon, sense of coffee, sense of alcohol, mint, strawberries, sweet potatoes, leeks, just battering Abathar's senses. As Abathar, you know, feels all this,
1: he thinks to himself or itself, did the mortals manage to recreate paradise? Is this how they live?
0: number of people, as Abathar walks through the dining room, stop their meals and look with concern at him. Some of them are younger. A couple of them wave as if they recognize Abathar.
1: Abathar waves back and smiles, you know, just sort of cheerful.
0: They give an awkward look of, are you sure? As they wave back.
1: Abathar walks towards them.
0: Abathar stumbles and bumps into a table occupied by an older couple.
1: Excuse me?
0: Nothing spills, but the the gentleman looks at Abathar. It's quite alright. Are you okay, young lady? He appears to be in his late 60s. Gray hair, a very bushy mustache, eyebrows that would be at home on a mad scientist's face. Oh, oh,
1: I just appear to be a bit dizzy,
0: that's all. Oh, Harold, give her a hand, says the woman seated with the gentleman. Absolutely, Ethel. How rude of me. He stands up and takes Abathar by the arm. Where's your table, young lady?
1: I'm not
0: sure. At this point, one of the younger gentlemen who was waving to Abathar comes over. Lily, are you all right? He's in a very nice three-piece suit, expertly tailored.
1: No, I'm a bit dizzy.
0: Would you like someone to call you a cab?
1: No, I would like to be called Abathar.
0: At this point, the younger gentleman is like, oh boy. He turns to the older gentleman. Thank you, sir, I can take it from here. Sorry to have interrupted your dinner. Oh, it's quite all right, young man. I can't bear to see a young lady in distress. It's how I met my wife, after all. Well, sir, I'm sure that's a great story, but I can take it from here. All right. Enjoy your evening. And the old man goes and sits back with his wife. And the young man starts leading Avatar back to the foyer of the restaurant. Lily, what the fuck? Are you high again?
1: Uh, Avatar, just s- sort of.
0: No. I'm Do you know the who ground. is in this restaurant? You need to get out of here before you make a scene. Okay. You are so fucking lucky that I caught you. Before anything worse happened, come on, let's go. Where's your? He goes over to the coat check. Where's your ticket? Uh, uh Give me your purse. And it's at that point that Abathar realizes that there's this small bag hanging from his shoulder.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, Abathar felt like
0: this. No, you're up. Uh, yes, that. Give me. And the gentleman opens up the purse it's called, and starts rifling through it and pulls out a small piece of, it looks like thick paper with some symbols on it. You're still not entirely sure what the symbols mean. And he hands it to the young woman located in this, it looks like a large closet with a door that opens up in halves. The top half is open, but the bottom half is still closed. And he hands it to her and she goes into the closet and comes back with a lovely coat made out of some sort of animal fur and passes it to the young man, who then turns and assists Abathar in putting it on.
1: Ah, my furs. Thank you, gentlemen.
0: Lily, okay, you know who I am. (laughs) We have been friends for about ten years now. When you come down, I'm going to call you and talk to you about this. But right now, we're going to get you a cab. Why don't you step outside while I make the phone call? And he points to the door.
1: Okay, then. Walking is challenging here. Must be these shoes. Abathar will take off his high heels.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly you have much better balance. (sighs) Much better. And you walk outside into a rather brisk autumn evening. You can smell the autumn in the air. There's a slightly chilly wind, but the night itself isn't terribly, terribly cold. The wind is where the chill is coming from. And you are taken aback. Avatar, it's like slamming face first. It's like belly flopping into a swimming pool, almost. The sudden impact of the sounds of the city. Cars, horns honking, the chirping of birds, the cawing of crows, in a distance a dog barking, dozens of conversations on the street in front of you, horns honking, an airplane overhead, just slaps Abathar right in the face.
1: There must be at least 10,000 mortals in this city. Amazing.
0: For a moment, part of Abathar slips out of the flesh that he is wearing, and he can feel the pulse and the thrum of the life of the city, the activity, like touching every ant in an anthill. As it rushes to and fro in its projects, in its labors. And again, it's just overwhelming, but it's refreshing in a way. Because it brings Abathar back. Some of these sensations are similar to what Abathar once felt as a prince of creation. But, wait a second. Over there, off to the left, another another source of agony, of pain. Like, calling, flaring up, white-hot misery.
1: Abathar sort of frowns. Just go straight towards the nearest source of misery.
0: Abathar steps off of the porch of this restaurant, down a few steps onto the sidewalk, and turns to the left. He begins walking down the street. About half a block down, he finds an alley on the left. Two dumpsters, heaps of garbage, the squeaking of a rat, perhaps, and a pile of cloth that shifts slightly. Abathar's eyes continuously go in and out of focus while taking in this scene. But that pile of cloth is just radiating pain and misery and suffering. Abathar sort of walks closer and,
1: Why are you sleeping outside, mortal? Do you not have a home?
0: As Abathar steps into the alleyway and begins speaking, suddenly, back into the past. The din of battle is off in the distance. The city surrounding Abathar is one of beauty. Marble and quartz and gold Shaped not by hammers or chisels, but by the touch of angels. On the ground in front of Abathar is a mortal soldier, bearing his legion's colors, bleeding from a gash in its abdomen. Armor broken, the desire to fight still in the mortal's eyes, a spear on the ground next to him.
1: Rise and fight, soldier. We fight for Archduke Asmodeus and
0: for the Morning Star. The mortal looks at Abathar. My lord, I am wounded. Heal me that I may continue the battle.
1: Abathar sort of, you know, just touches the wound. Of course, my child.
0: The wound begins to seal, and the blood that had been spilled begins to reabsorb into the mortal's body, and the mortal takes a deep breath (sighs) and stretches and looks up at Abathar, with so much relief and gratitude. And then looks at the end of the alleyway. Its eyes go wide. His eyes go wide. And Abathar hears a several footsteps. Sets of footsteps behind him.
1: Abathar just looks. Probably at the last second. Drawing his saber.
0: Four enemy soldiers. Bearing the livery of heaven. Stand. At the mouth of the alleyway. Swords drawn. They're mortal, but they're thralls of heaven. Their eyes ablaze with the blessings that they have been bestowed with to fight this battle. One of them points a sword at Abathar, and a streak of fire lances out from it, striking him in the shoulder. Abathar barely moves, but knows that that sword did cause injury.
1: We need not fight, mortals. Join us and fight for your freedom from your oppressor.
0: We fight for heaven. We fight for the glory of paradise that you have sundered. Bow before our masters. Bow before our lord. And be undone in his mercy. There is no lord. They advance. Weapons at the ready.
1: Abathar sort of focuses and starts creating a thick fog. Telling the soldier beside him to fall back to his comrades
0: the soldier gets to his feet picks up his spear and stands at Abathar's side I will fight
1: no you can't you'll die
0: then I will die doing what is just
1: but that's not it shouldn't be like this
0: the enemy soldiers are within attacking distance one of them swings the loyal soldier friendly to Abathar and Lucifer raises his spear and deflects the blow. Yeah, okay,
1: so Abathar will sort of start gathering power and sort of uh, start creating a storm in the small alleyway that they're in. Say, he sort of says, run, I can fly away, but you have to run.
0: The Asmodian soldier looks at Abathar and then nods and starts jogging down the alleyway away from the scuffle.
1: This is your last chance, mortals. We will treat you with dignity. If not, you will, if you will not surrender, then you will die.
0: The leader of the enemy soldiers looks at you and raises his sword. Then we shall find eternity in paradise.
1: As he later. says that, a lightning bolt sort of hits him.
0: Okay, when that lightning bolt crashes, bam, Abathar is back in 1999. On the ground in front of him is the smoldering corpse of a young man holding a pistol. Three other young men behind him, one holding a knife, one holding a chain, another one holding a pistol, have this absolute look of terror on their face.
1: Are you soldiers of heaven?
0: The fuck are you talking about, bitch?
1: I asked you a question. So, sort of tries to gather... Abathar tries to gather his power, you know, just... The fuck is...
0: No, no, no. Fuck this. And they just turn and run. Abathar smells something pungent in the air. It kind of smells a little bit like that basin of water that she woke up next... Or that he woke up next to. From behind, he hears... Th- thank you. What? Whatever you are.
1: Who are you, little mortal?
0: Abathar turns, and as the pile of cloth shuffles some more. A young, well, a middle-aged man, maybe in his mid-30s, gets to his feet. His clothing is filthy, thoroughly worn, holes in numerous places. He wears several layers of clothing that is far too thin for the approaching winter. The shoes are dirty and torn, but the soles are intact, even if they are not firmly attached. It's a pair of, well, A word pops into Abathar's head. Sneakers? (laughs) The mortal is wearing woolen... What's the word? Gloves. Yet they have no fingertips on the gloves. There's a a bag on his shoulder. It has a strange pattern, mottled. Different shades of green with some brown.
1: You look cold, mortal. Take my coat. It is sure to warm you, and I have no need of it.
0: He takes the coat in both of his hands and then drops to his knees. Are are you, did you, did my, did, were you sent by Jesus? Who is this Jesus? The, the son of God? God had a son? Mm. Must have been after
1: my time.
0: Your time? Please, please save me. I, I pray to you, please save me. Of course. She sort of,
1: Takes his hand, you know, into her hands and just, I can help you, I think. What is it you need?
0: He looks down at his abdomen and you notice that he throws the coat over his shoulder and he lifts up his shirt. And he peels this growth off of his abdomen. His flesh is white, but this growth, about the size of his hand, was a dark brown. "You, you, You cured me. The the cancer was going to kill me, and you, you cured me. And he drops the tumor on the ground. And he, he reaches under his shirt with his other hand and peels off another tumor and drops it to the ground. Well, of course. I, I, I am,
1: ask that you have faith.
0: I am yours. For whatever you need, I am yours. Yes. Tell me more about where we are. We're in an alley in Rochester, New York. Is this a city? It is. I remember them smaller.
1: Oh,
2: hello again, folks. I'd like to tell you about the Facebook group we run called White Wolf and Onyx Path RPGs, Gameplay, and Media. Have you ever wished you could have an easy way to find gameplay videos and podcasts or just media in general that deals with your favorite white wolf role-playing games, why have you ever wished you could find a forum to share gameplay that you have recorded, one that won't be drowned out by random posts and discussions, so that your media could get the attention you deserve? The group is specifically run with the sole intent of it being a one-stop shop for people to view or share media involving the games we all love. We take thorough steps to ensure the page does not become cluttered and is easy to traverse. The group is already immense and continuing to rapidly grow, with new media being shared every day. Stop on by. We hope to see you there.